All right, Community Faith, how we doing? Some of you wanted to dance. I could see it. I could just see it. Then some of you are going, I'm Baptist. I don't know for sure. Right, right. You know what? Marco in the last couple of weeks has been talking about this being, this God of ours that he has everything is contained within himself and he has life in himself and somehow he wants to know us and he's also sovereign and he has like control of everything and yet sometimes these really difficult circumstances come into our lives and he talked about free will and how that comes together, how God will never step over that and yet he's always working in the midst of it. Some of you are going through some really, really hard times right now. In fact, I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. I want you just to take a deep breath in and out through your nose. And I just want you to just silently say to God, God, right now, I open myself up to you. Show me what you want. Show me what you want to show me. Help me to understand this today. Because I just think he might be saying, all right, settle. Probably not saying shut up, but he's saying settle and dance with me in this moment. All right, you can look back up. I'm excited about what God has for me to share with you today because um, basically it's a passage in Philippians 2 where Paul is letting us know he says, I kind of want you to get your bearings. I want you to know what it's like, I want where you live, but I also need you to know who you are, and I want you to know how to dance in this moment, whatever is going on, because God has this for you. First thing he talks about in Philippians 2, he said, it, it, it's dark out there. Culture is dark. This generation is difficult. And he says it like this, we live in a warped and crooked generation. A warped and crooked generation. And it, it, it's so interesting the words that he uses in the Greek language because the word crooked is the word scolios. We get scoliosis from that. Have you heard of scoliosis? That is um, when your spine is crooked, you know, it grows crooked. I actually have that. I inherited that. That was a beautiful gift my dad gave me. Um, he also gave it to my sister. But I know when I was young, the, they were saying, we might have to put you in a cast or do something. Uh, I have to work out twice as hard at the gym to get my chest to stick out because my back kind of moves in a kind of a funky curve. And it would be a lot easier just to kind of give in to that. But I started doing exercises when I was small because they realized I was starting to have scoliosis and to try to mitigate that. But it's always an effort. It's a crooked, it's a scoliosis generation. It's a crooked generation. It's off kilter. It's not like God intended. And, and it's so interesting because there's another word there. It says we live in a warped and crooked. The strepho is the word in Greek for warped, and it means even more off. It's like just terribly off from its intended purpose. The things that we feel in this generation is because we as the human race have gotten so far off from God's purpose that it's causing us tremendous turmoil, tremendous pain. It's like the storms are all around us. The waves are huge and high. And there's so many things to distract us and to hurt us. I, 
I was listening to Billie Eilish, uh, the singer, uh, who she gave a, a, like an interview, and she'd given it a while back, but I just saw it this week, and she was talking about how porn had destroyed her brain. Now, she's not necessarily a paragon of virtue herself, but, but she was just saying, porn has destroyed my brain. I started watching porn when I was 11, and she said, I allowed things to be done to me that I would never have allowed. I, that's just one of a, a million things in our culture that's way off, right? 11-year-olds shouldn't be able to find porn. You know, 60-year-olds shouldn't be able to find porn. My dad told me one time when he was 85, he goes, I'd probably have trouble with porn, but I don't know how to use the internet, you know? But it, it's like, the thing is, all of us are struggling in some different areas. It's because culture is off. Scolios. Culture is scolios. Culture is estrepho. But he goes on to say who you are and who I am as believers. But you are light. You are light. It's interesting how he puts it. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. He's saying, yeah, it's dark out there. But this is the time for you, believer, to shine in the midst of it. I want you to know that's what God has called you to. And the word there for shine, it's a word that, that does, it speaks to the stars. It speaks to the moon and the sun. When do stars shine the brightest? When it's the darkest, right? I remember being out in the middle of Burundi, Africa. We spent the night with the Batwa in their village. So in the middle of the middle of nowhere. And we, at midnight, were dancing around this giant fire that they had made. And I backed away from the fire a little bit, and I just looked up into the sky, and I was stunned because living in Cyprus, I thought there were 13 stars in the sky, you know? There were just billions, and they were so bright because it was so dark out there, and stars shine the brightest when it's the darkest, but how are you going to shine like that in the midst of what you're going through? Well, Paul tells us, and he really gives us kind of a three-part thing to the dance. How do you dance in the dark? You obey. You don't whine. That's where the shut up came from, okay? Obey, don't whine, and hold firm to God's promises. Let's just read that together. It's in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start with verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So he's saying that obey is what our job is. And to obey really means that we focus on what God has for us to do and we let God do his job. When things get like this in culture and it gets so crazy and the storms are so wild, we should we tend to want to control everything. You ever feel like that? Just want to, like for our kids, if I could just control the whole world for my kids, you know? But only God can hold the world. He tells you some things to do as a parent and you obey. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. He has a specific thing. He's God, you're not God. You're, you, you're really a miserable little God, you know? And just ask your husband or wife. Yes, you are a miserable little God. And, and, and he never intended for you to do that. 
So in your life, God has a part and you have a part. And it's so interesting how Paul puts it here because um, he says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he didn't say work for your salvation. We see in many other scriptures that that's not possible. You know, there are a lot of people, even in Christianity, there's probably people here today, and uh, I've got good news for you. You can't work for your salvation because it's already been paid for. It's already been given. That's what Jesus did on the cross. See, a lot of us, we've been under the, the false assumption that if our good outweighs our bad, if we help our fellow man, if we're just good enough, if we, maybe we'll slide into heaven, you know? And then we have this tendency to compare ourselves with, well, I'm way better than him, you know? He's halfway to hell right now, so I, I'm, I'm probably gonna be, up. and then we'll see someone better than us that gets us worried, and God didn't want us to compare. He says, I've already provided the way. I don't want you to work for your salvation. Jesus gave that to you on the cross. I want you to work out your salvation. So we receive as a free gift what Jesus did for us. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I receive what you did for me on the cross. And then he makes us new on the inside, makes us a new creation. And we begin to work that out. Good example, when you go to the gym, are you creating a muscle that wasn't there when you're at the gym? I mean, I can see that all of you work out. So when you're at the gym, are you creating a muscle that's not there? Are you taking a muscle that you can't see that's microscopic maybe, okay? And you're working it and working it until you can see it. You're working out. That's why they call it working out, right? You're not creating, you're working out what's already there. And God has put some things in us already that we have inside of us, and it tells us what that is. It says, for it is God who works in you. You work out what God works in. God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That word works in the Greek, energo. We get our word energy from it. God gives us the energy, God puts his energy in us to will, that means fellow, the want to, the want to, and to act, the ability to, the energy to. So his energy comes through and creates our energy. So what is our job then? To obey. And what does obey mean? It means just to take the next tiny small step. Maybe it's not even a step. Maybe it's just the next tiny attempt in his direction. I'll give you a good example of it. We see it in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching in the temple, and there's a man there that he sees who has a hand that's all withered up, probably from birth, probably something, you know, that happened at birth, maybe umbilical cord problem or or something, you know, but his, his hand is withered up. And so the Pharisees, religious people are watching Jesus to see if he's gonna try to heal somebody because they decided that was work. You know, they're, they're the ones that are trying to work their way to God. So they're trying to get all this right. And Jesus kept blowing their minds. But he sees this guy and he looks at the Pharisees and he goes, I don't care what you think. This is what God does. And he looked at the man and he said, stretch forth your hand. 
Now, we just see that as a Bible story, you know, and it's like, oh, there's another miracle of Jesus. But put yourself back in time. Put yourself in that man's place. This guy, how many times had he tried to stretch forth his hand since he was two, you know? Hundreds and hundreds. I mean, he can't stretch forth his hand. It's not possible. It's not, he can't do it. It's, it's not physically possible to stretch forth his hand. But Jesus just looked at him and said, stretch forth your hand. And there's something about the way Jesus is looking at him that he makes the attempt. And what happens? That withered hand, he's, I'm going to stretch it. And all of a sudden, and it does. Why? Because God put the energo inside of there to make it happen. That's the only way that it can happen. Everything we do that's a God thing is a miracle like that. It's God's energy coming through us. Anything else, it's just our energy. We're just going to get wiped out before long, burned out. I was trying to live for God, but I just kind of burned out, you know? No, that's not what he intended for us to do. He said, I'm going to give you what you need to take the next right step. If you will attempt it, I will give it. If you're a believer, if you have me inside of you, I will give you what is necessary. Then it's going to be his energy moving in this powerful, powerful way. And why? In order to fulfill his good purpose. But you know, even in this scolios generation, he has a good purpose. In fact, it's interesting because that word is eudokia in the Greek, and it means his good purpose or his good pleasure. Isn't that something? This being that needs nothing, somehow we're able to bring pleasure to his heart as his children. That's a pretty cool thing, I think. You know, it brings him pleasure. I don't know why he would think that we're pleasurable, you know. I mean, just try to imagine that. But he says, when you take that attempt and you watch what I do and then you see my power move into my purpose, it brings me pleasure. It makes me smile. I love it. I like it. And I think it's awesome that we can give him, you know, we look back in the life of Jesus again, and he's got his little ragtag group of disciples. And remember, I mean, they're just, they're a mess, really. Like, you know, Peter, he says, Peter, you're a rock. He's about as far from a rock as anything you ever saw, right? He's he gonna betray, you know, Jesus in the sense of just like denying him and running away. And he was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was always trying to call down fire from heaven on people, you know. You're a rock. But he said to those, that motley group of guys, he goes, it's the Father's good pleasure. In fact, he said, fear not, which is a really good word for us in this culture today. Fear not, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure, same word, to give you the kingdom. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have been looking at them and going like, this is all I got to work with. Well, you know, guys, it's the, well, the Father's going to give you the kingdom. You're not real excited about it, though. No, he says it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It, he, it brings him pleasure to do it. It pleases God to do it. So how do we give God pleasure? How do we 
satisfy, you know, bring satisfaction to him, a smile to his face by obeying. My job is to obey. He says, as you have always obeyed. See, God intends to give us in every situation exactly what we need to do his will. He, he, he already puts that there. He doesn't just, anything that he asks us to do, he provides the power to do. And we need to understand that because this is so huge and so crucial. We can see it in salvation. He says, I want you to be saved. I want you to have relationship with me. And then, so does he just sit back then and say, okay, now struggle and try to get your good to outweigh your bad? No, he provided it. Jesus came and died on the cross, stepped into time and space. Somehow when he did that, he took all of our sins on himself. He took our place and we received that as a free gift. So God already provided everything we need for salvation. He said, I want you to be saved. I want you to know me. I want you to be with me forever, be in my family. I've provided the way. What do we do? We just reach out. We reach out. And even that's from him because we're all withered up, really, in our souls. So even the reaching out comes from him and he gives us the strength to do it. And we grab hold of what Jesus did on the cross for ourselves. And that's really what salvation is. But that shows us he not only does it in salvation, he does it in everything in our lives. Often we look at what we lack and we conclude that our problems are greater than our potential that these constraints that we have on us of time or money or energy or relationship or resources, whatever it is, that these things are, are, are almost bigger than God. And again and again, he puts us in positions where we're unable to do anything without his help. But when we take that next attempt, step into him, he gives us the strength to do it. Now, he didn't say, I'm going to give you the strength for 20 steps down the road. He gives us the strength for the next small step. Stretch out your hand. And you make the attempt. And he energizes you in ergo. And he gives you the want to. You wouldn't even have the want to if it wasn't for him. You ever talk to someone that doesn't have the want to yet? I think we need to, you have to pray for them and say, God, give them the, the thalo. Give them the want to. You can do that. He will. But they have, you have the want to, and then you have the energy to, the ability to act. What God demands, he supplies. And we see that over and over. But then Paul says, and as you're doing this, do it without grumbling and complaining. Oh, man. That's like, to me, that's like the hardest verse in the Bible. You ever, you know, like pretty much, it's like do not kill. I can, okay, I can, don't grumble, don't argue. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, verse 14, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Grumbling. Interesting word in the Greek. It's this low-toned mumbling, kind of like a, a muttering we do against God. It takes place at an emotional level. Angry toward God for the circumstances that you're in. Disappointed, disillusioned with God. And just, you're not telling God that because that's scary, you know, lightning and all that kind of stuff, right? 
but he already knows it anyway. And you've kind of got this thing going on inside of you. And then, so you've got this, this grumbling and, and it's, it's like this complaining. Some of us, some of us seem to almost enjoy complaining. I, I read this week about a, a woman, her husband came home late from work. Like he had, you know, she had already said, I need you to get home on time. I need help with the kids. Like for you to be here for supper, he gets home at 6.30. He walks in the door, <clears throat> knock down, drag out fight. You know, it's just like, oh, she's all over him. For an hour, she just berates him and berates him and berates him. Finally, he goes, honey, I'm gonna go back out the door and come back in and let's just start over. She says, fine. So, you know, he goes back out at 7.30 and, and he opens the door and she goes, it's 7.30 and you're just now getting home? Start it all over again. But it's almost like we enjoy that or something, you know? Like, why? What's going on there? And that's one of the big things Paul says, you know, the world, you won't shine. You don't shine like the stars when you're a grumbler. No, I mean, the world does that. That's easy. It's when they see something different in you. And he also says, or a complainer, arguing. That's an interesting word, dialogimos, dialogue we get from it. But it, it, it's kind of an uh, emotional, well, the first one is emotional. Like the, the first one is guttural and emotional. This one's kind of an intellectual debate with God. God, if you loved me, this wouldn't be happening. God, if you were omnipotent, this wouldn't be happening. God, if you really cared, are you really there? You know, and we kind of go into this, this, this back and forth with God. Um, you want to argue with God about the circumstance or marriage or job or singleness or whatever it is, maybe even church. Paul says, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, see how hard that verse is? Because he didn't say, I mean, I could do most things. You're doing pretty good. If do, do at least half of it, at least, right? He says, do everything. And that everything, he's talking about what it means as God's working in you and you're working it out. I think it's interesting that he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because he knows us. In fact, Paul said, I came to you in fear and trembling and I shared God's word with you. We don't think of Paul that way, do we? I mean, I don't think of him up there going like, oh, you know. But he said he came and talked to them with fear and trembling, but the power of God came through. Miracles came through. They saw the power of God in a weak vessel, and they knew that it was God, not Paul. It's okay to say, I don't feel really good about this. I feel like, you know, the world has fallen apart. Fear and trembling is part of the human condition. God doesn't judge us for fear and trembling. But are you gonna take the next right step anyway? Feel the fear and do it anyway. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is when you feel the fear and you still take the next small right step. And maybe it's a fear like, okay, I don't think it's gonna work, I don't think. Or maybe it's a fear of like, you know, this is just overwhelming. Whatever it is, he says, in fear and trembling, work out your salvation. In fear and trembling, take the next small, obey, take the next small right step. Oh, and do it without grumbling and arguing. 
so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. The word without fault is so interesting in the original language. It's momos. Ah, momos. And the ah in Greek is, means it's a negative, like no, no. Momo was a, a carping Greek god that blamed everybody else for his circumstances. And so it kind of came into the common vernacular, oh, you're a, such a momo. He said, be ah, momo. No, momo. Are you married to Momo? Are you Momo? I mean, you know, the one that's just always like, Adam was, Adam was like that, Adam and Eve, remember? What did he say when God came? It wasn't me, it was her. I mean, she gave me the, in fact, you gave me her. It's your fault. Remember Marco talking about that? It's like, that's Momo. He says, be ah, Momo. You'll be without fault. You won't be blaming God or anybody else for what? he wants to do in your life. This whole world is marked by grumbling and complaining. Have you noticed that? We have a culture that grumbles and complains. Always about rights and all these different things and God's going like, hey, would you just shut up and dance with me in the moment? Seriously. Shut up and dance with me. I'm ready for you to dance. I, yeah, I see the waves. Yeah, I see what's going on. But you're so busy grumbling and you're so busy complaining and you're so busy arguing and so busy casting aspersions on me, on others. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for that woman of mine, I would be a great husband. I'd be a great. My dad used to say this to me. He goes, I'd be a great pastor if it wasn't for people. He had a lot of good sayings like that. But, you know, it, it, it's like, it's, it, it feels like that sometimes. But he's saying, stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Take the next right step. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Notice what you're trying to hold on to, the word of life. The Bible, that's God's promises, 7,000 promises he gives us. Are you holding on to them? It's interesting, the word hold firmly could also be translated hold forth. And I think it means both here. Some translations, when you read it, say hold forth the word of life. So what he's saying is, as you don't grumble and complain, as you trust God, in the midst of circumstances, as you have a peace inside of you, even if there's some trembling and fear, people recognize that you're human, but there's something else about you. Like, I don't know, they, there's something like shining about them, you know, like something so different about them. I, I, I wanna know what that is. As you take that each next small right step and God does these amazing things. I put a, a, a verse I want you to see, put it up on the screen. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. That's pretty good, huh? Is that you today? Is that a word for you today?
And what's so interesting is as we take that next small right step and it's fear and trembling and we, we just, this, but my resources are so small, God. I don't see how God takes it with his energo, energy, and he does amazing things. And you might just find yourself dancing on the waves in the midst of it. I wanted Laura to come. She's got a couple of friends of ours that just went on the trip with her and to come and share with us a little about this trip to Burundi and Uganda just in these last few minutes because that's one of the places in, that we've seen in both of those places how that's happened. You've, you've invested some things into Burundi. It's been hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's taken sacrifice to do it, but God has literally taken that and made it into millions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of jobs. I, I want you to just hear about that and see, because this is what God wants to do for you personally also. So take a listen, all right? Oh, you got it all going, man. I am excited to share just a little glimpse of our trip to Burundi and Uganda. Um, I know many of you were praying for us as we went, and we appreciate that. We had a great time. Before I talk to these guys, I want to share just some numbers with you, and not because numbers are a big deal, but because these numbers represent people, and they represent children and lives that are being changed and impacted by your faithfulness. And so I want you to hear what's happened recently. We were in Burundi, and you have probably heard about the fortified uh, porridge factory that you guys built there in Burundi to provide a nutrition for children there. And it's now being given out in 22 different communities. Um, and these children are um, seeing life change, literally. They're seeing the doctor less, their eyesight's improved, they have more energy, their weight is doubling in a matter of months. It's just incredible what they're seeing. We are, you are giving out 10,000 hot meals a day in Burundi. And that equals, you can clap for that. <laughs> If you obviously multiply that over a year, that's 3,650,000 hot meals. So that many children and families are being impacted. One of the areas where you are working is in a neighborhood called Butareri, which is um, where the city dump is. And there's a um, neighborhood of people that live there on the dump. They scavenge through the trash to find food, to find things that they can recycle and try to sell. I mean, you guys built a community center there a couple of years ago on the edge of the dump, and now we have um, 200 vulnerable families, mothers and children, who um, we are able to provide porridge for. We've started a um, trade school there where they are getting training to make soap, to sew, to make charcoal out of the um, reused garbage there in the dump. And so these lives are literally being transformed and they're receiving hope because of you guys. We also had the opportunity to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Kazoza Finance. This is your bank there in Burundi. You guys gave the first funds to establish the bank there. Um, and, and it's incredible what God has done. Listen to this. To date, you've given out $68,810,371 in loans. <laughs> You've funded 71,321 projects. You've created 308,410 jobs 
for the Burundian people. You, they have 36,226 clients, and the loan repayment rate is 94.7%. That's incredible. So all of these friends are seeing their lives transformed, receiving banking services that they never had access to before. Um, we also were there for the launch of Kazoza FM. We now have a broadcasting license for radio and TV. It'll have a 24-7 programming, um, just providing training um, for young adults there in Burundi where they can um, get the skills and job training they need to be able to start their own businesses and to step into the workforce. So it's an incredible opportunity that we have. We've also seen the church across Burundi um, expand uh, just organically. We got to spend time with several of those churches and leaders. Um, they're anxious to learn more, to continue to grow. It's been exciting to see that happen. And one of the places we visited was the hospital in Bubanza that you guys built over the last several years. And in the last year, they've seen 13,000 patients, which is incredible, most of them mothers and children. Um, we had 98 births of healthy babies. We didn't lose a single baby or a single mother. So that's exciting news. While, while we were there, we were able to see a vaccination clinic they had going on to um, get all these children the normal childhood vaccines that you and I and our children have received. And so um, they had that going on, which was super exciting as well. Um, we're working in 12 out of 17 provinces across Burundi. Um, so God is just doing amazing things. One of the other places we visited was Uganda, and I just want to give you a quick update on what's going on there. Uh, we're partnered with Worship Harvest Church. Many of you know Moses Mukisa. He's been on our campus multiple times. Um, they are an incredible church, and they have incredible leadership there. But when COVID started back in 2020, um, and everything shut down there just like it did here, um, they were had about 12 campuses. They have multiple campuses across the city, and they had about 2,500 people among those campuses, which is incredible. Um, but from then to now, God has done something I've never seen before. They now have 56 campuses and about 20,000 people attending Worship Harvest. And that was during COVID, during the shutdown. It's amazing what God has done. Moses always said to us, God is just looking for our yes, and then he does the rest, which was exactly what Mark was talking about today. He wants our yes, that step of obedience, and then he does the rest. So I have a couple of my friends here with me that traveled with me. Uh, Melissa Lassiter is here and Garrick Strong. Um, we had a great time together. There were 11 of us on this trip. And I know, I just want to hear a little bit about your experience. Garrick, I know um, you had never been before. This was your first trip. You'd heard about it from your wife, Carol, because she'd been a few times to Burundi. I wonder, how did the trip compare to your expectations going in? Um. My expectations and my experience were couldn't be any further apart because what I thought I knew wasn't really accurate. As you mentioned, I, uh, Carol had been to Burundi three previous times in 2011, 12, and 13. I had heard the story, seen the pictures, and saw the videos. So I thought I knew what was going to happen. Um, in the church, we're actually active with the Surf Saturdays, so I thought it was going to be a week long of Surf Saturdays. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. It was so much more than that. 
Um, and it's not until you're really on the ground in the country that your five senses kick in. You begin to hear and smell, taste and touch the culture, the beauty of the people, and to see all the work that's, that's been happening. You know, from the first day we got there um, in Bucieri and the city dump and then each of the communities that we visited, because those are finance as well, um, I was just blown away at every single um, activity that happened over the course of that, uh, that trip. So yeah, it was just amazing. I know, I think every time I'm there, I'm surprised at what else God has done. I don't know why it surprises me, but I always look forward to the next time to see what else God has done. Melissa, you'd been once before, and I wonder what was your takeaway this time? What did you see? What was different? How was that experience coming back? So I think my very first time, like in 17, was much like yours, and it's overwhelming all that God is doing. And so coming back this time, five years later, there was still a lot of that, but it was, um, it was a, a whole different experience in that I was able to look, just kind of step back and look from a global perspective and thinking about just in five short years, all that God's done and all the lives being impacted, like, like what you said, only something God can do. And so it was wonderful to see faces that I'd seen in the past, right, and see where they are today and that kind of thing. But it's the, the expansion of what God's doing that really hit me. When we were in Uganda, one of the things Moses asked us most days, you know, what has touched your heart or what has touched your mind? And I wonder what would you say with that related to the trip, Garrett? Um, Worship Harvest was an amazing experience. I think there's three um, points I'd like to make. Uh, first, you've, you've kind of mentioned already um, just the growth of the church, 56 campuses in four different countries. Absolutely amazing to see uh, discipleship at work. Um, the second thing I would comment on is um, on the Saturday we were there, we attended a marriage retreat. They call it a couples, uh, a lover's gathering. But one of the segments they talked about was uh, using a pyramid to describe God's purposes for our marriages and how we design our marriages to work. And if you look at a pyramid, you know, the largest surface area is at the base of the pyramid and it gets narrow at the top. But within that pyramid, the foundation is the, is the covenant. And I'm, I'm sorry, it's a covenant, um, which is the agreement between the individuals. And on top of that covenant is the commitment to honor that covenant. And then you can establish trust and knowing that, that your partner is there you gain vulnerability, you can let your guard down, which ultimately leads to intimacy. But unfortunately, a lot of marriages, we have the pyramid inverted. So the, 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 the narrow portion of, or the pointy portion is on the ground, that's the, the least amount of surface contact. So you start with intimacy, and that's incorrect, and why marriages fail. That was really powerful to me. And then lastly, um, my favorite has to be uh, Harvest Academy which is the educational or the academic branch of the church. And it's literally embedded with the church, at least there in Nalia anyway. So you have uh, a, a place of worship next to a place of, of, of education. And they have a wonderful um, declaration that they use for the, with the kids. And I'd like to read that to you. So this is the Harvest Academy academic or academy declaration. It says, I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I can be what God says I can be. I am a warm and friendly person. I am proud of my country. I am innovative leader and always leading by example. I know in my head and I believe with my heart 
that God loves me unconditionally. I choose to honor God by utilizing 100% of my brain capacity, gifts, and talents. I'm I'm eloquent and daring. The word impossible does not exist in my vocabulary because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm a fiery, trailblazing child of God. I will leave a clear mark on earth because I know who God says I am. I will do what God says I can do, and I will be what God says I can be. I think that's powerful. It really is. (laughs) Melissa, what would you say? What touched your heart or touched your mind? I think, again, I was able to step back this time from a, and from a global perspective. A message that God kept giving me over and over and over throughout the whole entire trip was this power of what God can do through a single person whose lives, whose life is fully surrendered. And I mean, even going back to the back to the back of when community of faith started and God gave you and Mark the vision that he gave you. And I was around for that so I can testify to this piece that the same mission that God gave them before they ever started is what we are today, that being mission-minded and helping the world, but thinking about how had you and Mark not surrendered, right? And then going all the way forward about how because of that surrender, the bazillions, and I know that's not a real word, but the bazillions of people whose lives are absolutely transformed because of that fully being surrendered. And it just is blowing me away still at, the, at just the life change. It's just waiting for our yes. One of the things Kelly always asked at the end of the day, you know, give me your one word for the day from your experience that day, which is hard to do. Um, but I'm going to ask your one word for the trip. Um. My one word would be hope, and uh, this trip has really given me a perspective and understanding of what hope really is. You know, uh, until this trip, my definition was pretty small and narrow, very selfish, very myopic, where I would say, I hope my team does well this year. But what this trip has taught me, that hope really is um, the manifestation of God's promises and his provision in our lives. Um, So to see all that he has done uh, in Burundi and in Uganda, the growth that, that Melissa spoke to, the metrics that you gave with regard to the clinics and the, and the Kazoto finance is just simply amazing that that hope is, that is given to people and they are living in the joy of the hope that God provides. What about you, Melissa? Sacred. It Just the whole thing, just standing on holy ground the whole entire time in this sacredness that I I'm getting to bear witness to and be a part of this holy, holy work that God is doing. And even being a part of community of faith, being able to give to the best gift, being able to, whatever it is, this sacredness of this journey and this path. So it's sacred. I love that. Thank you guys for sharing with us today. I don't want you just to hear the numbers and hear the stories and think, wow, that's really cool. But I want you to recognize that this is you. This is community of faith. And this is what you guys have done through your faithfulness all across the years to give and to pray and to go. And I'm so proud to be a part of a church family that that has that heart for the world, that has said yes 
to what God wants to do. So thank you. Um, you can thank God for allowing him to use you um, to be a part of all of these things. And we look forward to sharing more stories with you. I know Garrick or Melissa would be happy to talk to anybody that wants to hear more about it. But I love that idea that Moses shared of just saying yes, and then God does the rest. That's that step of obedience. As we finish in song today, I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to ask God to show you where is it he's calling you to say yes? Where is he calling you to take that next step of obedience? Because he has purpose and he has plans for you. So ask him to show you as Jess comes and sings to us this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness toward us and toward our friends in Burundi and Uganda. And God, we thank you that your plans are good, that all you want is for us to take that step of obedience, to say yes to you, and you're gonna do amazing, miraculous things. So we commit ourselves to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.